2020 can end now because it's peaked. You know what? I thought it was that mean owl that they found in the Rockefeller Center tree. Did you see that mean owl? That owl was like, bitch, I was in the forest. Owls are terrible. They killed that lady in the staircase. Uh, (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah, the owl. Patricia! It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood! Welcome to Obsessed with Disappeared, the podcast where Ellen Marsh and I tell the stories of missing people by recapping the episode of IDs Disappeared that covered their case. Are you going to tell the people what happened on Friday Night Live last week? Oh, you mean when your folding chair swallowed you up and spit you out and threw you onto the ground? You guys, have you ever seen a grown man just be sitting in a chair and then not be sitting in a chair in front of thousands of people watching? Because I have. It was unbelievable, you guys. You got you go to the Facebook group or the Instagram. You can watch it in slow motion. And you have to listen to the sound. It sounds like the chair snapped in two. Everybody collectively thought I died. And here is a testament to our listeners. I said someone get me that video, and it was 6.2 seconds later that I had 29 DMs. I was like, I fucking love you guys. This is the bullying that I am here for. <laughs> if you needed any more reason to follow us on the social media, there you have it. Join the Facebook group, Obsessed with Disappeared Podcast Discussion Group. Follow us on the Instagram, The Disappeared Pod. Sometimes we go live and I fall out of chairs. Anyway, <laughs> follow us on Instagram at The Disappeared Pod. Okay, you need to settle down now, okay? Okay. You can't come in out of 10, all right? You can't go from... I'm sorry. I am already having so much fun with you this week. You cannot go from zero to psycho that fast on me. I don't have a neck brace. That's, I think, officially the first time on the podcast you've told me in front of our friends to settle down. Yeah. And frankly, what took you so long? Yeah. All right, you guys, Disappeared Season 3, Episode 3, tells the story of the disappearance of Molly Bish. I am a steam engine full of rage. Yeah. Choo-choo, bitch. Here we go. (laughs) One summer morning, a 16-year-old girl reports for her lifeguard job. Molly had studied to be a lifeguard all winter. She had big dreams and she was delighted. It was just a good job that she could do. But minutes later, she vanishes. We would have never sent Molly there if we thought she would be in any kind of danger. Was Molly abducted? And was it the same predator responsible for another young girl's disappearance? She was blonde-haired and blue-eyed, and she was visiting her grandmother when she was taken. Will Molly's loved ones ever get answers? A family's torment. We're, like, trapped in this perpetual nightmare. I call it between Helen and, um... You guys, it's late June 2000. 16-year-old Molly is really excited. She lives in a cute little town in Massachusetts called Warren. And she is taking over her older brother's job as the lifeguard of the local pond. It's called Cummins Pond. And that's what she's doing for the summer, girl. Okay, I'm here for Molly. Yes. And I don't want to make this about me. Okay, okay. (laughs) So That is really, really big of you. Really, girl. So can I just get the Boston accent out of the way? (laughs) Yeah. 
I literally have in my notes. You guys, we learned this town is 70 miles outside of Boston. Is it close enough <laughs> to get the Boston accent, girl? Yeah. Just give us your favorite Boston words. Let's just get through it. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate you. <laughs> you want me to just rattle them off? Please. All right. Darna. <laughs> Shop. <laughs> Florida. <laughs> Draw. <laughs> Can you go down to the cellar and get some tronic out of the fridge for your mom? <laughs> and last but not least, OnStar. <laughs> Do you remember, you guys, it was the phrase that started it all. He was in his rental car with the OnStar trying to bother with the toll taker. Bob! <laughs> Listen, they got the toll taker. He said how he didn't have enough cash. He had 15 cents on him. She lets him go without paying the toll. He tried to barter. He tried to barter with the toll taker. Listen, he was in his rental car with the OnStar <laughs> trying to barter with the toll taker. There's a couple times I tried to rein it in. I really did. I tried to rein it in with a Boston accent, but it's going to come up a couple times. Listen, you just let your freak flag fly. Can I say the thing I need to say and get it out of the way? Go for it. So that we can then move on. Yes, I love you. We can both just be our garbage selves and then we'll just move on. Yes. Her brother John's really fucking hot, you guys. Like, that's it. Her brother John is really fucking hot. Okay, it's just. That's it. That's all. That's all we're going to say. It's facts or facts. We're not taking away. No, from the tragedy. We said our truths and we're going to move on now. Just I have one more truth. Truth! I, honey, you got hundreds more truths. Don't sugarcoat it for the people. What's your truth, my love? Tell me. I've a little bit had it with the ID scouting people, the people who find the locations. Molly was a lifeguard at this pond. A pond is where people go swimming in the summertime. They are typically nice, like little sandy beaches in a calm little pond, and it's cute to go swimming. The location scout found us like the dirtiest, most unswimmable. There's not even a beach for people to like lay out on. No, I know. It was definitely off like Route 93 in Revere. Like right. it was just right off the turnpike. <laughs> I agree. I was trying to look beyond that, but since you pulled at that thread, I'm going to go ahead and agree with you. So we learned that the Bish family, they're like a super great, respectable American family. Like They're really the all-American family living in a bucolic community in central Massachusetts. John was a probation officer. Maggie was an elementary school teacher. And like we're getting like all of this information about the family. Girl, I've got one more truth. Wh- Bear with me. What? This episode was definitely directed and shot by like a music video director. The cuts are really fast. The music is really loud. It's almost as though like in ID, they're like, we need to bring in the youths. <laughs> Does anyone know Kylie Minogue's number? Would she be willing to direct this episode for us? Kylie Minogue, you really reached back for that one. That was good. (laughs) (laughs) Can anyone get me Tiffany? (laughs) Would Tiffany direct this episode? Said Debbie Gibson, we can call. (laughs) Any of the Gibsons. (laughs) What about Paula Abdul? She was big. She was big. She available. So we learned that this sweet family, that her brother John was a lifeguard at this pond. And he sort of willed his job down to his little sister. And she'd only been working at the pond for about eight days. We learn a little bit about Warren. It's just outside Boston. It's a nice town. Located 70 miles outside of Boston, Warren is a small town where doors are left unlocked and neighbors keep an eye out for one another's children. Oh, and they say people leave their doors unlocked. I know. People who don't 
lock their doors. Why on earth are you not locking your doors? I know, That's my I know. only question for the day. So I just did a little side goog on the town of Warren. A fact about Warren is every town has like a grade and their grade for the schools is an A+. Wow. Guess what their housing grade is? What? An F. <laughs> what? Like, I was like, what, what the fuck, Warren? <laughs> They didn't sugarcoat that. It went from an A plus to an F (laughs) for housing. I was like, the fuck is happening there? So we meet some of our other talking heads. The Massachusetts State Police is Tom Green. We'll get to why they're involved. And then there's a PI who also has a lot to say. His name is Tom Shanshack. Both have great Boston accents that I'm going to lay into later on today. And we learn about Molly. Molly is the youngest child and an accomplished athlete. She plays soccer, basketball, and softball at the local high school, where she is also an honor roll student. She was a great kid. She was an athlete. She played soccer, basketball, and softball, to which I went, okay, Molly, we get it. And then she was also on the honor roll. Like, you know how there are just those kids for which all that shit just comes easily? She was just like one of those great kids. You know who she sounds like? Almara. I know, I know. She really does. But yeah, it's just like she's beautiful and she's sweet and she's close to her family and, and all the things. Yeah. You guys, we learned that she had a boyfriend. I'm going to ask you a question, girl. I've been in love with two men in my life. Can you tell me their names? <laughs> Steve and Lucas. <laughs> And what's this young man's name? This guy's name is Steve Lucas. Uh, Can you imagine? No, I saw that. I was like, creepy. And the guy looks like Lucas. I know. Yeah, that creeped me out for a total of 27 seconds. I was like, if anyone can find Lucas, can you tell him not to call me? Yeah. Um, Can you also tell him not to listen to this podcast? It's not for him. He would hate it so much. And after today, it might not be for some of our listeners, quite frankly, after today. So it's the morning of June 27th, 2000. Remember, it's like the friends have all just gotten out of school. And one of the girls in Molly's friend group was hit by a car and was in critical condition at the hospital. Like, that's pretty upsetting. Yeah. Critical condition. That means that person might not live. Yeah. And Molly is obviously really upset about it. But Molly decides like she's got to get up and go to the pond. Even though Molly is upset, it's an important day down at the pond. The summer's first day of swim lessons which means she has a lot of responsibility as the lifeguard on duty. So Molly has just gotten her learner's permit. She's learning to drive. And Molly and her mother drive down to the pond. So this is the day that she goes missing. They stop at the local convenience store to get, like, bottles of water. We see surveillance video of that for some reason. (laughs) As if they were like, allegedly they went to go get water. (laughs) Oh, no, there's video? Right, right. They went to get water. They went to get water. As though the mom was the primary suspect at one point. (laughs) Yeah, that's so weird. So then they have to stop at the police station to pick up the two-way radio. So we learn about this pond. Cummins Pond is a small man-made pond surrounded by woods is an isolated swimming area. If you didn't know where it is, you wouldn't get there. The pond is a man-made pond surrounded by woods. If you didn't know where it was, you'd never be able to find it. There's no phone there. There's no way of communicating. So they have to pick up this two-way radio so that the lifeguard can communicate with the police. Wait, it's not a two-way radio, my love. It's not a two-way radio. What is it? A potable radio. Sorry. I'm sorry. I am insufferable. I apologize. And I'm sorry that you have to spend time with me. Okay. I love it. Apology accepted, though. (laughs) (laughs) 
So my one big takeaway from this, A, there's no way of communicating with anybody other than this two-way radio. How scary is that? Fucking terrifying. Like there wasn't a pay phone that they could put in? I mean, even the Best Buy had a pay phone. It didn't! No! Rabia got to the bottom of it. We found out there really definitively was never a pay phone. You're so right. See? And that goes back to Blockbuster. This is what I want to say about Blockbuster. It all circles. It all circles. Yeah, but when they said that, I got like super terrified. Like there wasn't an office with the phone. Like it's just a two-way radio that goes directly to the police. So there's no in-between with the calls. There's no like, hey, the water feels cold today. It's either everything's good or we need the cops here right now. That is extreme. Do you work at that pond, girl? (laughs) No phone. The only communication will be with the cops. Everything's an emergency. Everything is an emergency. (laughs) But my other takeaway from this was that, I don't know if you know this or not, but Massachusetts famously has 360 lakes, one lake for every day of the year. Why are we making new ones? (laughs) Why does Warren need to make a lake? Is that really real? Did you know that as a mass hole, you know that? Yes, Massachusetts famously has 360 lakes. You could go for one for every day of the year, Warren. Why'd you got to make your own, girl? Now I'm mad at Massachusetts. I know. Now this rage train's got another cart. So here's the thing. This is the part that makes me really mad. Molly and Maggie pull up to the pond, just in time for Molly's shift to begin. Minutes after Maggie leaves her daughter at the pond, the first swimmers start to arrive for their lessons. Molly and her mom pull up at 10 a.m., right? The first swimmers are starting to arrive. The mom drops Molly off and the mom leaves. Now, Molly's lifeguard chair is set up. Her whistle is around the chair. Her sandals are on the ground. All of her shit is there. There's a first aid kit that is open, but like Molly within minutes of being dropped off is nowhere to be found. And all of a sudden, like the swimmers are showing up for their swimming lesson and Molly is nowhere to be found. Swimming lessons begin and a local mother takes Molly's whistle and assumes her post. To which I said, Christopher, you forgot to say a local mom named Ellen Marsh took the whistle and assumed the post. Immediately elected herself mayor of the pond upon realizing that the lifeguard wasn't there. I don't understand. That's just a statement because I would give myself a glowing Yelp review as a human being for that. (laughs) This is why I'm saying Christopher left your name out. Okay, okay. So the thing is, what I'm saying is we both know that this is true about you, but we both are reacting differently to it. Right. You think it's totally normal and I think it's totally you. (laughs) Absolutely. No, I mean, one day, I'm not kidding. I saw this kid outside of my local playground a couple weeks ago. And I was like, where's your mother? Where's your mother? Where is your mother? And the mom was like, I'm literally here drinking a Poland spring. Like I do. I elect myself mayor pretty much everywhere I go. And I feel like you're putting me down for it. And I'm quite proud of it. (laughs) And as I said, thank you for confirming that we're both seeing it differently. Yeah, great. Thank you. And I'm right. So here's the thing, this stupid fucking cop, right? Because of course the Ellen mother, like not only does she assume the post, she immediately calls the police. This is very tracking for you. (laughs) So she calls the cops and the cops are saying like, the original thought was that a 16 year old girl might have just walked off with her friends. Look, it's pretty clear that she's a 16 year old dumb girl and she just wandered off to go hang out with her friends rather than doing her job. Immediately they are saying she's a dumb girl. No one is thinking we now have a missing person on our hands. 
response. Right. Everyone is saying like, is she hanging out with her boyfriend? Oh, she probably went to go hang out with her friend. Now, mind you, that call was at 1144 and Mama Maggie dropped her off at about 10. So she's been missing for probably about an hour and a half. You guys, you have a missing person on your hands. Right. You and I had a conversation about this off mic. If the person that you have put in charge of like being responsible for all of the fucking children in the water. Right. If you think they're responsible enough to have that job, can you also assume that they're responsible enough to be there? And if they're not there, it's a problem. Yeah. If they're not there, be worried about her. Right. And to your point, everyone collectively seemed to say that Molly took this job super seriously. Yes. She loved it. She did lifeguard training. She did life-saving training. All of her brothers and sisters were lifeguards. So yes, it does not track that she would act the way that they said, oh, she just went to go hang out with the boyfriend. So that is super upsetting. Come one o'clock, there is still no Molly. And the police were like, wait, maybe there's actually something wrong. Three hours later, three hours. Exactly. So they call the mom. The mom panics. She goes from zero to 60. She does a Patrick and Ellen and just goes bananas. Yeah. She calls her sister, Heather, her older sister. And let me tell you, I'm going to say this again and again. Mama Maggie slowly breaks my heart on this documentary. Alarms went off. My children have always been responsible. Um, We just knew something wasn't right. And then there's the thought, well, maybe they went, maybe like Molly and some friends went to see that other person in the hospital. So Heather, the sister, calls the hospital. She's not there. They call the boyfriend. Nobody's seen or heard from her. And then I wrote, wait, this is when I'm realizing the boyfriend, Steve, is not in this episode. Where is he? More on that later. Yeah. So this is the part that I thought I wrote, (laughs) check in with Patrick. So the call was made at one. So let's say they went to Steve's house at about 1.30. When Heather arrives at Steve Lucas's house, he's just waking up for the day. Steve was just waking up for the day. (laughs) And I was like, bro, it's one o'clock. Not in my house, girl. Not in my house. We are skipping over the real true crime here. And the real true crime is that Steve's sleep cycle is fucked up. Why is he waking up at 1.30? That is really bananas to me. Get a job, Steve. Yeah, Steve, at least wake up. At least wake up and be a productive member of society. So the mom went to the pond and was like, wait, her shoes are here. I see her shoes. Why would she leave and go with anybody if her shoes are here and if her friends are here? Where's mom? So this is where, like, how the police didn't realize that is just fucking beyond me. The mom gets to the lake, like, four hours after the first Ellen mom realizes the girl is gone and the police have been called. And, like, the mom has to point out to everybody else, you guys, all her shit is here. Her clothes are here. Her shoes are here. She's wearing a fucking bathing suit. Where is she gonna go in a bathing suit? Like, this is a problem and nobody paid attention to it. Right. And so then Tom Shamshank, who is the PI. He does not work for the police, but he's explaining to us. The Warren Police Department didn't really have a lot of experience dealing with missing persons cases. That's why the Massachusetts State Police came into the case. The Warren police were like, yeah, we're in over our heads over here. We don't know what to do here in Warren. Our biggest problem is a bike thief back in uh, 98. So we don't know how to deal. So the Warren police call. That was a real gift to you that how many R's there are in the name of this town. I know. Say it again. Warren. Warren Mass. 
I feel like the police for five hours have been saying to the family, everything's fine, dumb girl, off with her friends. And when the mom is like, bitch, her shoes are right there, that's when the cops are like, oh, ma'am, you actually make a good point. Yeah. The local police begin to think that the bishes may be right. And they call in the state police to assist in the matter. And they call the real cops because Warren doesn't know how to deal with missing people. And I'm like, doesn't everybody go to the same police academy? Yes, but if you're a high profile, really good cop, really good at his job, you're going to go to Boston. You're going to go to a more dangerous city. You're not going to sit in a sleepy town where it's 68% below the national average for crime. And so I actually appreciated that they went to the state police and they recognized that they were way in over their head. And they were like, you guys have to take care of this. Because I mean, if they were just Keystone cops fumbling, bumbling, then we would have lost more and more time. One weekend class in missing people goes a long way, Warren. Just one weekend class. I'm just saying don't have no experience. Actually, I hope these fucking cops are doing ride-alongs with the state police so next time they know what to do. Here's your chance to learn on the job. Okay, agree. I feel like I'm crazy. I feel like you think I'm overreacting. The police should know how to handle a missing person case. Yeah, but they never have. So this is really interesting. When they call the state Massachusetts police, the state, the local officials, the fire department, the ambulance, the missing persons, the dogs, the helicopters. Now, not that I don't think everybody should be treated the way this case was, but I just want to point it out because some cities and towns put families at a disadvantage because they put these weird 72-hour waits or 48-hour waits. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, the Spira family, the McMullen family, these families that were sit waiting with bated breath and then the Warren police and the Massachusetts State Police, they sprung into action. And it should be mentioned that her dad was a probation officer, so he's in the system. We hear some of that later that, like, a lot of this were, like, you know, people helping out one of their own. Law enforcement deployed a lot of resources. And we're talking about the daughter of a probation officer. But yes, it's the kind of thing like this should happen for everybody. And it's also like so fucking heartwarming when you see it. Absolutely. The number of people who show up for these people that go missing is really incredible. And so all of these cops are now at the beach, like they're at the pond with the family and they're like, oh, we know what happened, girl. She drowned. Yeah. Like that's why her shoes are still here. She went swimming and she drowned and everyone's like, that's not what happened. Yeah. Number one, it's a man-made lake for no reason. But they're like, she was a really strong swimmer. She was an athlete at the top of her game. I knew right then and there that this is not what had happened. Molly was the best swimmer in her class. I knew that she wasn't in that water. I just I just knew it. And then Brother John, Ugh. like, these people just don't know what to do. And, like, they feel like they're not getting enough help quickly enough. Brother John just tears off into the water going looking for his sister. And he's just, like, swimming around trying to find her. And the cops eventually have to be like, girl, you got to get out of there. Like, you actually legally can't be the one searching. I know. And they, like, drag him out of the water. Yeah. Brother John, his little breakdown. I mean, you know, listen, you and I both have siblings. I think there's something very special about a big brother and little sister relationship. Yeah. I mean, he just felt so responsible. He had taught her how to be a lifeguard, you know, and he just, the way he was explaining and probably the state of mind he was in, he was just kind of like flailing around in the water. I continue to beeline to the the pond to search. And uh, I went in swimming and searching for her. But I knew she wasn't there. Searched and searched and searched until they they got me out of there. And I knew it wasn't good, but 
I had to, I had to find out. Just the way he described that just really, really broke my heart. There's even a couple of my siblings I'd go looking for if they disappeared. Couple of them. I mean, how many do you have? I lose count. What do you have, like six or seven? I don't even know, girl. I'm not, I don't even remember. Ugh. Remember the last episode where we realized we hadn't seen each other's fathers ever? <laughs> and we're like, what if they're the same person? <laughs> So the search goes on all night. All night. They bring in a dive team. They're searching the lake. These people are amazing. When this happens, you see it. It just, it renews your faith in humanity. We deployed all resources, including our mounted units came to the area. We had our state police air wing, which is our helicopters brought into the area, using both infrared and camera imaging to look at in the forested areas off the center of town. They bring out the dogs. They bring out the infrared helicopters. The search goes on and on and on. And it's heartbreaking. But at the same time, it is like, wow, there are really great people out there. So the next day, they're like sort of combing the woods around this lake. And they realize there's a trail and the trail comes to a fork. And one of the fork ways, however you describe the woods, goes like deeper into the woods. And the other one goes to a cemetery and they realize that that's kind of important because there is a footpath that leads directly from the beach to the cemetery so one of the theories was that if someone came to abduct molly they could easily take her out through the wooded area to the vehicle in the cemetery without being detected or seen if somebody abducted molly on the beach they could have followed this trail completely unseen through the woods into the cemetery and if their car was parked there they could have gotten her into the car and gotten away and nobody would know right why do we have trails like this why is that allowed right there was a road right next to the cemetery so it could have just been an easy escape out so then mama maggie has this realization oh god i know here we go okay so the day before molly disappeared mama maggie had dropped molly off at the lake she pulled up and early in the morning there was a white car with sort of a creepy man smoking a cigarette in it she thought he was weird and she thought he was sort of staring at molly in a really peculiar way so mama maggie walked over to molly while she was organizing her area and she was just like asking about the people and Molly was like, oh, he's probably just a fisherman. You know, don't overreact. I mean, if you think about it, it's like broad daylight. You know, I think everybody just kind of thinks like what is going to happen to a person in broad fucking daylight, you know? Right. He wasn't swimming. He was just sitting in this white car. So mom sat in the car and was just kind of pretending to rifle through some things. Looked at the gentleman in the car and just one of those feelings you get sometimes. Her spidey senses were just going off, right? That mother's intuition was just going off. So finally the guy left the parking lot and Maggie was like, I'm thinking, what is this man doing here? You know, why isn't he working? Why isn't he at a job? You know, it's 10 o'clock in the morning and all he's doing is smoking a cigarette and he's staring at me. And I I just got this this very nervous feeling. So Maggie describes him and Tom says he had salt and pepper hair. (laughs) He had dark eyes. And they draw this composite sketch. Now, we've seen some horrible composite sketches. Remember the guy with the square ears? With the square. (laughs) Easy to find, you guys. Square ears. Square as the day is long. When I tell you this picture is so menacing and realistic, it is a really creepy picture. It looks like every picture you've ever seen from like those 1950s anti-gay like if this is what your Uncle Bobby looks like he is homosexual he is sick yeah and he wants to do filthy things to you in the basement it was so weird so she described him as being in a white vehicle and so now any creepy man in a white vehicle is what they're looking for to which I say couldn't you pick up a more manly color than white <laughs> Sharon was that no midnight blue option or maybe a charcoal of sorts? You creep madman with a mustache and a white cap? Who 
mustache. Crete magnets. Sharon. Sharon, that's enough. Happy holidays, girl. White cars are for creeps and lady boys. Sharon, don't call them lady boys. Those are my friends. What? Tell Patrick he's a dead, dead lady boy. Why do you hate him so much? Ellen? Huh? That's a good question, girl. Why have you had to create an alternate personality who hates me and can speak about it freely? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I wanted to point out one other thing about the lake where she works is that this man-made lake is surrounded apparently at all hours of the day by fishermen. Yeah. So it's like just these like weird looking middle-aged men fishing at all hours of the day. And I have no problem with fishing. Do your fishing. But like maybe this isn't the safest place in the world for like a 15-year-old girl to be unattended like all day long. I agree. And there was this, you know, creepy man. And seriously, every man above the age of 40 with a mustache is creepy. Now I'm going to retract that. (laughs) I'm going to retract that. Every man with a mustache is creepy. Okay, you know what? I'm going to retract that. Every man above the age of four. Every man is creepy. Every man is creepy to me. Okay, there we go. Done. Thank you. So this became national news. And then Tom says something that I kind of thought when I saw the composite. He said, It was a lead that the police began following aggressively. Unfortunately, the composite fit a lot of people. This developed into thousands of leads. The composite fit a lot of people. So everyone who's ever seen a creepy man was like, yeah, that looks like the creepy guy at my gas station. Yeah, Yeah, that looks like the creepy guy in my neighborhood who's got an abnormally small dog. That looks like (laughs) the creepy guy who works at my town bowling alley. Like they got so many calls about this composite sketch. And the other thing too is that like, then they're getting the women calling in being like, well, if you shave the mustache, it looks like my husband. Yeah. Like, if you dye the hair, it looks like my husband. Well, if you take off 40 pounds, it looks like my husband. We even had callers calling in and they say, if you dyed his hair or shaved the mustache or made him 10 years younger, they were trying to make that picture fit someone that they felt was a suspect in this case. This happened in the Ted Bundy documentary, too, when they were looking for, like, a Ted. Every fucking wife and girlfriend in America called to turn in their husband. Come take him away! I know. Like, the women in this country hate their husbands. <laughs> They're like, creep hotline. Please yeah. tell us what creep matches this creepy picture of this creep. Creepy man, what creepy man do you want to report today? Number one, why do we have so many fucking guys that are so creepy in this country that we have to get thousands of calls? And number two, why are men so terrible that all of their wives hate them? I got nothing. So now we're back to the police, like, combing the area, right? So everybody in the world shows up. Remember, we said there was, like, 200 cops and, like, dogs and, like, local people. And they had all shown up, like, the day before to search for her. When they didn't find her, it seems to me, tell me if I'm getting this timeline wrong. I hope I am. The day after the search of 400 people, the police are like, well, why don't we go look at the crime scene? Yeah. And they're like, oh, the thing about it was we invited 400 people here yesterday to do that search. And so now everything is contaminated. Inadvertently, all of the first responders contaminated whatever footwear impressions were around the immediate area of where her beach chair had been set up. It was hard to determine that this was actually a crime scene at that point. And I'm like, we're talking about the first aid kit. The two-way radio had all been held by 800 people. They did it in reverse order. Yeah, and the footprints, like in the sand. I know. Then they were just like, "Uh, we're all going to just touch a bunch of shit. (laughs) And then the next day they're like, oh, God damn it. Why'd we touch all that shit? You know all the shit we touched? I know. We can't use that shit anymore. I know. So the first aid kit was open. They do know that the first aid kit was open when they went yeah. to her station. So they're thinking maybe she 
knew the attacker. Maybe it was a familiar face. Maybe he faked an injury and was like, hey, can I get a Band-Aid? Judging from the open first aid kit, the police speculate that someone may have faked an injury. And when Molly bent over to open the kit, he grabbed her. And by the way, that's exactly what happened. Like, well, as soon as they said that, they were like, oh, probably whoever abducted her came up on her, said, I cut my finger. She bent down to get a Band-Aid and they grabbed her. Ugh. And I'm like, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, it breaks my heart. So then they do the logical next step. They look to the boyfriend. And I love Mama Maggie because she is basically me with any boy that will possibly potentially date my daughter. Totally. She was so nice about it. She's like, this young man, he probably wouldn't have been the one that I would have picked but Molly liked him for some reason. He was never unkind or disrespectful when he came here. So I had no real reason not to like him. I mean, I had no reason not to like him. I didn't like him. I wouldn't have picked him for my daughter, but she liked him. Her choice, not my choice for her. Totally fine. I don't know why he had that earring in his eyebrow, but he was a nice boy. Never would have chosen him for my daughter. Like She just keeps slowly throwing shade, but she's saying that like, I didn't so much as like him, but I know he didn't do anything to my daughter. Like, Yeah, and I'm also like, oh, great, here we go. Now we got to investigate the idea that she ran off on her own by her own doing. And we do that for 20 minutes. And they're like, she was seen all over the country at a mall in the middle of America. And I'm like, she is like an averagely tall white girl with blonde hair. Two unrelated eyewitnesses call in tips to the Massachusetts State Police. Both put Molly Bish in Miami. Like, of course she was seen all over the country. Yeah, no, I know. And again, people don't have malintent. I don't think people are evilly throwing off the investigation, but it's just kind of, it just shifts the focus. And it turns out that Steve, the boyfriend, wasn't particularly helpful with the search. A lot of Molly's friends and friends of Steve, Lucas, that were there at the beach area when it was being searched, participated in the search. They went into the woods. Steve was not participating in any of the ongoing searches in the area for Molly. He didn't do it. He passed the polygraph test, which again, let's get into. Are we yay or nay on polygraphs? I like, but like in general, we all have to decide. Like, we have to stop using that as a litmus test if we know that they're not admissible in court. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't, I feel like we need to spend some time really perfecting the polygraph test and then deciding that we're actually going to use it. <laughs> I <know. laughs> like, I mean, do you know what I mean? Like, we can make kitty litter that can detect if your cat has a disease. I and- no. We can't tell if someone is lying about taking the life of another person. I find that hard to believe. Isn't there like actually a truth serum? Isn't that a real thing? I think it's called vodka. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know how it usually comes out after I've been on the receiving end of some vodka? What? Here's what I actually think about you. (laughs) Yeah, no, you are mouthy. You are a mouthy drunk. But you're usually either super combative drunk or you're like super lovely. You're like, you know what? I love you so much. I love you so much. Or you're like, do you know why nobody likes you? It's one or the other. I like a cocktail. But I will tell you, there are definitely those nights that I'm like, oh shit, it's Mean Patrick night. Yeah. Yeah. So the next chapter of this investigation, Christopher tells us... Investigators then decide to concentrate on the area's local sex offenders. The area's sex offenders, girl? Oh, right. And then he kind of looks at the camera and he goes, we got a lot of those. (laughs) (laughs) The cops 
tell us that they have like a disproportionately high number of sex offenders? There are a disproportionate number of sex offenders that just happen to live in the area. Yeah, and I was just like taking my notes and I was like, do I want to? No, I'm not. I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. What on earth, Warren, Massachusetts, what is happening? So they go and they round up the sex offenders and they bring them in and they say it's like hard to determine if their alibis check out because a lot of them are not gainfully employed. All I know is that this scene required a lot of extras to be portraying sex offenders. And I was like, I just had this image of like some guy just trying to make it, going into an audition and being like, hi, I'm Mike. I played sex offender three on season three, episode three of Disappeared. And I'm like, (laughs) the holding area for these actors. Oh, who are you playing? I'm sex offender one. I'm sex offender four. I went in for one (laughs) and then they told me I was too tall. So I'm four. So I called the Massachusetts State's Police Department. Oh, God. Well, I am here to tell you I feel like they've been warned about me. I'm not kidding. (laughs) What happened? Well, I called the Warren Police Department and I told them I was investigating the Molly Bish case. And they're like, nope, you got it. I'm sorry. You told them you were what? I was like looking into you. I tell them I do it for. And I recorded my whole intro, by the way. I recorded it. I'll release it. I'm investigating. I love it. Well, no, I am. But like, I have to tell them and I say it's only for entertainment purposes and blah, blah, blah. So and then the Warren Police Department was like, nope, 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 nope. Call the state. Here's the number. Transfer. Ellen Marsh. No. Yeah. yeah. Go sell crazy someplace else. Absolutely not. So I called the Massachusetts State Police Department because I wanted to know if you are a registered sex offender, if you aren't named a person of interest, do you willy nilly have to succumb to a polygraph test? Like if they come and get you, you just have to do it. The answer has to be no. Yeah, no. They said it's state to state and they said that they would be doing a courtesy, but they would be wise to oblige. Oh my God. Also, wise to oblige is the name of my forthcoming memoir. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone. Listen, if Patrick calls you, honestly, you just be wise to oblige. Honestly, it's not worth the drama. It's not worth the Xanax, truthfully. <laughs> So the police are on this case 24-7 for weeks and weeks. The state police basically spent 24-7 on site. We would go home, we would change, we would refresh, we'd put a fresh set of clothes on, shower and shave, and go right back to the town of Warren to continue the investigation. So, I mean, later on, they say this was the biggest search in all of Massachusetts state history. So even though at that time they did come up with nothing, I mean, the family had to have been moved by how hard everybody worked. and For sure. And of course, that is not the answer that you want and that is not the outcome that you want but for this case they really were the good guys and they really did like help this family tremendously so we're taking a break from that to learn about the case of a young girl that went missing by the name of holly peranian seven years before molly vanished another young blonde girl in a nearby town went missing. She disappeared in 1993 in Sturbridge, Massachusetts. It was seven years before Molly went missing. Sturbridge is just a couple towns over from Warren, and they're saying that, like, are these cases connected? We have thought that Mahali Cranian and Molly's case were connected because of being blonde and blue-eyed, because of the remoteness of where they were taken. They were close by to each other. Both girls had blonde hair, blue eyes. And, you know, the Holly Peranian story was just really sad. Like, she had gone to visit her grandmother with her brother, and the brother and Holly went to look at puppies, and only the brother came back. And she was gone, and eventually they found her remains in the woods. But in 2003, one of the cops who had worked on that case and was really obsessed with that case moved to Warren, and he's bringing his knowledge of the Holly Peranian case to the Molly Bish case. He believes there could be a connection between Holly Peranian and Molly Bish. 
because Holly's remains were located by hunters, the ex-cop also questions them. And so now they're saying, what we need to do, you guys, the guy who killed Holly Pranian was a hunter and her remains were found in the woods. We need to interview every fucking hunter we can get our hands on. And they do it. And one of the hunters they interview in the Molly case says, actually, girl, when I was out in the middle of the woods, I did see something weird, but I just thought it was like not a thing, but like, I can't get it out of my brain. And the cops are like, take us to it. They go to this area of the woods. It's woods that are only ever used by hunters. And they find find a blue bathing suit, which is what Molly had been wearing the day she was missing. Right. So they send the suit out for DNA and evidence. They send it actually locally and they send it to the SBI. Then they launch a massive search of that area. Again, this is three years later, 180 men and women do this new search. They used um, an anthropological grid and they broke it down over 500 acres and they searched shoulder to shoulder, digging through thick underbrush up steep hills through bushes and rocks. You should see these pictures. I mean, I know, I know. There are 180 people in this small radius. I actually got chills when I saw how many people were out there. And that's when we're informed that this is actually the largest search in Massachusetts history. So they wait and a couple days later, it comes back. It was indeed Molly's bathing suit. So like now they have a search area where they're trying to find the body or the remains. And somebody three weeks later finds a piece of a human bone. They can tell right away that the bone belonged to somebody between the ages of 14 and 20 years old. They send it off for testing. And in the time that they're like, before they get the results, they find 26 more bones. And six days after they tested the first bones, it is determined that it is the remains of Holly Bish. On August 2nd, 2003, Molly Bish was laid to rest. So even though they found the bathing suit and they found her remains, they still had no leads. I mean, they basically said it was a white male between the ages of 18 and 50. Yeah. Like how many people is that. I know. So that's what the family hired P.I. Tom Shamshank, who we have heard from throughout the documentary. Yeah. So in February 2008 in Marion County, Florida, of course, <laughs> a man by the name of Rodney Stanger is arrested for the murder of his girlfriend. Now, if you do a side-by-side picture of that original composite yeah. and this creep show, I know it is super eerie. I was immediately struck with the remarkable resemblance between Rodney Stanger's photograph and the composite that had been generated from Maggie Bish. I mean, it really looks like the guy. Like, it's identical. And we are hearing tips that the girlfriend that he murdered was telling people all over town that before Molly Bish died, he was talking about her all the time. And it turned out also this guy had lived in Warren for 20 years. And one year after Molly disappeared, that's when he moved to Florida. And he was a fisherman. He was a fisherman and his brother, who he was close with, had a white car. So everyone is just saying that, like, this is exactly exactly the kind of person we were looking for. A hunter, a fisherman. He lived in the town. He had a white car. He looks exactly like the profile. And he, he is a fucking murderer. Like, he murdered his girlfriend. Right. All signs point to this guy. And he denies it. He pled guilty to killing his girlfriend. He's like, no, I definitely killed that bitch. I didn't kill that little girl. But, I mean, of all the things, like, he lived in the town of Warren. It is crazy. But there's no DNA evidence. That's the thing. Like, there was no DNA on the bathing suit. They couldn't get anything from the crime scene where they found the bone. So, like, this guy says he didn't do it. And even though he fits the profile to a T, we can't prove it. He was never charged. So here's a couple updates. So this is 20 years later, mind you. So we're, you know, in June of 2020 was the 20th anniversary of her passing. And this family has really done anything. 
they've created the Molly Bish Foundation, which improves safety for children in that area by having their pictures and fingerprints done. Also, which I found so fascinating, they helped pass the law in the state of Massachusetts for the Amber Alert. I know. That's amazing. Yeah, which wasn't in the state of Massachusetts before they fought for it. I literally just got chills. Look at my arm. Yeah, and so, like, one of the last things we learned in the episode is that that boyfriend, Steve Lucas, that's a name that I take personal offense to, we learned that he died in a car accident in 2008, eight years after she went missing. And we should say, like, we don't think he did it. The family doesn't think he did it. He was never a suspect. Yeah. But wow, like, what a cursed situation. Yeah, here's some more updates. There's so much information online on this case. I remember this case. I think this case struck a chord with a lot of people. I remember this case, too, yeah. Yeah. In November of 2011, a man by the name of Gerald Batswanas was named as a suspect in her murder by another private detective by the name of Dan Malley in Massachusetts. Now, this guy, Gerald, had served time for raping a teenage girl in the early 90s. He then attempted suicide in prison after he saw his name in a newspaper, identifying him as a potential suspect. He was a suspect in both Holly and Molly's murder. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was super crazy. But after he was named a suspect, he actually died in the hospital in Jamaica Plain in November of 2014. So as of today, there have been no arrests in the case. And I just wanted to say the mother made a statement on the 20th anniversary of her passing. She said her abduction and murder and the knowledge that the killer is still out there and so far has escaped justice has left our family to bear this tragic loss and lack of closure. It's been 20 years, but it still seems like yesterday. And her sister said, I still live with the fact that my sister's killer may still be out there. It's so sad when it's kids. And yeah, I don't know why this one got me. (laughs) (laughs) I love you so much. I want to make you laugh now. (laughs) Ah. All right. Say something funny. You're a mess, but you're my mess. (laughs) (laughs) Bow, 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 bow. You guys, we did season three, episode three. Girl, that one was hard. I know. Uh, Remember the days of asshole Scoop Daniels who went missing on purpose? <laughs> Can't we have those assholes back so we could just ride them, like drag them like a goddamn wild horse? Hey, Sharon, what? can you do something to make my friend feel a little bit better over there at, at your place? Oh, this shit weepy-eyed, doe-eyed little deer over here. She's a pile of tears. <laughs> You're in the wrong line of work, sweetheart. Thanks, Sharon. Thanks. You guys, join our Facebook group. It's the Obsessed with Disappeared podcast discussion group. You know, we just go in there, we get crazy. It's become a tradition after Friday Night Live every week. Ellen usually goes into the group right away to like either apologize or make sense of what just happened. Yeah, someone had to apologize for your drunk ass falling out of a chair. A stationary chair. It wasn't even the rolly chair. But I wasn't even drunk yet. Everyone's like, Patrick's drunk ass. I wasn't even drunk yet. I was just leaning forward in a folding chair in my office. My love. And I fell on my face. My love. The look on your face by the... Yes? It's okay. Yes. It's okay to say you've had a drink. We love you. We know you work hard. I did not have you... a drink yet. You're thirsty. I know. You're a thirsty little boy. You deserve a drink. <laughs> I'm just... Just saying, join us on Friday Night Live. You do that by following us on the Instagram. It's The Disappeared Pod. Girl, I'm going to say it. Our Friday Night Lives are off the hook. Am I wrong? They're really, really fun. I really look forward to them. Shit always goes down in there. Yeah. It's true. I love you, girl. I love you so much. Follow Ellen on the social medias at Ellen Mars. 
Irish. You can follow Patrick at, at Patrick Hines underscore, but you probably already do. That's probably true. I love you guys. I love you. I love you. All right, bye. Love you. Bye. Warnass. <laughs> We're right, uh, right out, right outside uh, Revia. Rent them. And my favorite. You know what my favorite is? Swampskit. Swampskit. It's <laughs> my favorite. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when you needed help when we were in acting school and you were like, let me partner with someone that levels me up. Ellen Marsh, please be my partner. And I was like, yes, I will make you look better than you actually are. Do you that know what I'm saying? That would have been true had you ever agreed to perform the scene that we agreed to do together. Well, when you the day a came scene. and you decided you weren't actually, Ellen was not going to act that day. Well, so we actually don't know this story to be true because we've never actually seen it in action. Well, you picked a horrible scene. Um... <laughs> Sometimes we see these cases. They're like, yeah, we took the weekend off. We picked up oh on Monday. Oh, my God. We're going to pick this back up on Monday. Monday? Yeah, exactly. Oh, no, no, no. Monday's a bank holiday. We'll have to we'll have to reconvene on Tuesday at 10. Is the Monday the President's Day? Because <laughs> we like that holiday a lot. So it's, a, it's a big holiday, big travel holiday. Is that holiday. when they do the Super Bowl? Yeah. <laughs> 